We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Blue Wire. You are listening to The Uncontested, an Oklahoma City Thunder and NBA podcast featuring Jacob. All you haters come at me. Taylor. You're a step past a hater like I'm Rondo. Upgrade your baby mama to a condo. Nick. I really wouldn't mind taking a flyer on Swaggy Pete. Kamiar. I just got done taking a nap. And Justin. I'm too fast. What's up? Welcome to the Uncontested. I am Jacob. I'm here today with Kamiar. Hey. We've got Justin. Well, hey, fellas. We've got Nick. I just got done taking a nap. <laughs> Dude, I hate you. <laughs> and special guest, returning guest of the podcast, our good buddy from the other side of the planet, Mikey Barra. Mikey, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming back. Uh, we don't have returning guests much i think they come on our podcast once and then hate us forever so (laughs) so mikey what time is it over there um it's 4 20 in the afternoon oh 4 20 4 20 blaze it nice donut blaze it (laughs) (laughs) Um, you guys can find our podcast anywhere you download podcasts that and on the blue wire podcast network you can search that on itunes subscribe and you can find all of the blue wire podcasts including multiple nba and nfl podcasts so make sure you do that hit the subscribe button while you're at it leave us a five-star rating that would mean a lot you can also follow us on twitter at the underscore uncontested with that being said let's just uh let's just jump straight into this thing we have one game of the finals in the books and I'll be honest with you guys, that game ended in a way that I did not think it would end. 
Uh, Toronto is up 1-0 in the series. Boogie did play. Kevin Durant did not. He will not play game two either. Um, so I guess first off, just what do you guys think of game one? Did you think Toronto would win game one? And do you think Toronto has a legitimate shot to, to pull this thing off and be NBA champs? Well, I'll go first. Well, we talked about this a while ago. I don't remember. I think we talked about this like last weekend together. Um, and we were talking about what well, is going to be a sweep. Who has a who has an actual chance? And I thought, regardless if it was the Bucks or the Raptors, that either team would have a chance legitimately to uh, take the Warriors and really maybe even win the series with Kevin Durant out for possibly three games. Definitely out too. Uh, Boogie is like his lateral movement is like nowhere near anywhere where it's supposed to be right now. But I mean, I think you could just sum up the game by just saying Pascal Siakam. I mean, he went off. And he was then, incredible. And then, you know, I was a, of the proponent that Mark Gasol would be a really good weapon to have on the floor because he can shoot threes and he can defend at a higher level. Whereas some people will say, oh, you might have to take him off the floor and put Serge in because Mark is big and slower but enjoyed it yeah i was i was surprised um anybody else thoughts on games one yeah i don't think i don't think what they're doing is sustainable and that's not their fault it's just one of those things they were at home their defense was perfect the warriors offense was not clicking Siakam had, you know, the game of his career. He, he's one of those guys that could turn around and have a six-point game. Uh, in game two, I just feel like they can't put together four games in a seven-game series that all the pieces fall together perfectly like game one. Yeah, I have the same feeling, to be honest. Um, the defense was extremely fun to watch. I think, um, because Toronto had to play a completely different brand of defense compared to the one that they had to play against Giannis because of the way uh, Steph works in pick and roll. And and they succeeded. They were, as you said, perfect. And maybe that is something that cannot sustain for seven games because the Warriors will test you. Uh, they will find ways uh, to attack you um, in a different way, they will um, maybe do screens a little bit higher or use different player to screen for staff. Uh, Dre, Draymond is not the only one that can um, set screen um, for staff. And then I think that Golden State uses too many players. Um, I think that Royce Young mentioned it in one of the pods and or other analysts. I don't think they will play 10-11 games, 10-11 men going forward. Um, staff played under 40, if I'm not mistaken. It, this will not last, uh, last. And so I, I don't think they will start um, again in such a poor way like they did. And it will be very different. I think they will play uh, less Jordan Bell, probably more Kevin Looney. And overall, they will play Steph and Clay way more than, than what they did. And, and this will make um, things harder for the Raptors. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's somewhat of a cliche, but 
overall, I tend to think about game ones as being feel out games. You know, it's Mm -hmm. two teams that are starting the series. They're going to try different things. They're going to do some experimentation to kind of get a feel for the other team and how the rest of the series is going to go. And so in any series, really, I don't put too much stock into game one because we've seen too many times where one team will come out and look great in game one. And then you never see that same level of performance again. And so while I'm not necessarily saying the Raptors won't be able to replicate anything from game one, I'd be shocked if they were able to put together that same kind of complete performance in another game, because I think the Warriors are great at making adjustments. That's what they've done. That's a big part of why they've been so successful for so long. And I think we're going to see a lot of adjustments from them in game two. Man, I like Nick Nurse a lot. Yeah, I do too. And he has a cool hat. Yeah, he does have cool hat. (laughs) I, I really like Nick Nurse. I like the ability to adjust on the fly, and I like the way he he really coaches his team in general. And then just the Raptors. I mean, like uh, Mikey just talked about, you know, the the Warriors shortening the bench, which I I agree with. Like you're having a bunch of like a no name guys, and you're really just gonna like shorten your bench with some front court players, and then that's about it, really. And then some of the yeah. front court players they have are Iggy and. KD and whatever, and they're all banged up. And the Raptors are going to go like eight, nine deep, and they're all pretty healthy, and they could go deeper if they wanted to. So I mean, That's what she said. Uh, shut up. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I'm I'm just really excited to see what happens in Game Two this Sunday because I mean, like you guys said, they're of course they're going to adjust. Steve Kerr and those guys will adjust. Clay will probably go nuts from the corners again, just like every Thunder fans like nightmare. And uh, we'll see where that takes us. But I think it's possible that Toronto could open up as a uh, 2-0 lead. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. Um, I I think Siakam is good. I don't know if... I mean, this game just feels like it has to be an outlier for him. I don't think you can can replicate what he did in Game 1 again. On the flip side, though, I think if you're Toronto, you have to feel pretty good because Kawhi went something like 5 of 13 from the field, and you have to feel like he'll have a better game offensively. I mean, he still got his points, but he went to the free throw line, like yeah. what, like 10 or 12 times. So you, yep. you'd have to feel good about Kawhi playing better, but it's a double-edged sword because I don't think you get another Siakam game like yeah. that. You know, Van Vliet having 15 points off the bench. Well, like, and Lowry was in foul trouble, too. Yeah, and, and apparently Van Vliet had a child and then just has gone completely bonkers right. ever since. Like, I think like the Shea, opposite of what happened yeah, with Thunder, Thunder, Thunder. Thunder. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Shea Serrano <laughs> said it best. They need to bring that baby in at halftime and have everyone hold it for a little bit because <laughs> apparently that baby's good luck. Hey, Mike, I've got a question for you. So go ahead. This is a this is a a, a feeling I've had, and I've I've been talking to other people about it. Uh, most notably, somebody on Twitter, other than the guys in the podcast right now, David Brandon, who writes for Daily Thunder, about mm-hmm. Jeremy Grant and what his next evolution is. Because I've always thought that if Jeremy Grant takes an extra step or maybe a bigger leap, he's kind of what you know, a, a Pascal Siakam light. What do you think about that? Um, yes and no. Uh, I have the feeling that what makes Pascal greater than, and, and, and with a higher ceiling of Jeremy is, is passing ability. 
And there was a possession in the, um, I think it was the last quarter in transition, where he he had a perfect pass in the corner from midcourt. Um, I think it was Lowry on the corner or Van Vliet, I don't remember. Uh, or maybe Danny Green. Yeah, it was Danny Green. And um, those kind of, th- that kind of pass, passing vision mm-hmm. and court vision that Pascal has, Jeremy is nowhere near. He's a good finisher in terms of finishing actions. I think that efficient, like the efficiency of those two players can be similar, especially if Jeremy develops um, a little bit more of his on-ball skills. Mm-hmm. But the passing, I don't think will be there. Um, he can make simple passes, but the ones that Pascal sees, I don't think so. I think it's fair to it say. could be like it could be a more efficient player because the three ball is in his favor. Mm-hmm. I think that he can shoot the ball better than what Pascal Siakam can. Um, but the passing, I, I don't think, will be there. Hmm. I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, yeah that's pretty fair. Um, Another I, guy that I. Well, I was going to say another guy that is interesting to watch for me. I haven't watched a ton of Marc Gasol since he got traded to the Raptors. And uh, it's just, it goes, he does. He looks great. And I think it's it's cool to see guys that have been on teams that never really got a shot to play for a title or anything like that kind of get put in this situation. So on like a personal you know player standpoint, I'm happy for him there. But it just makes me go back to the question of, Steven Adams and three-pointers. I mean, Gasol had two really big threes that he hit in that game one, and it starts to make me think, like, if a guy like Marc Gasol can add that development to his game, like, how huge would that be for the Thunder to see Steven Adams develop a three-point shot? Yeah, it would so, be huge. So what you're saying is you'd like to trade for Jonas Valanciunas. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, no, I'm with you on that. You know, I, I think we've seen a lot of centers who kind of came into the the league. Brooke Lopez, prime candidate. Yeah, it, uh, in a different era and have developed their game and, and gained the skill to shoot three-point shots. Um, I mean, I, I hear I hear people all the time that, that go to Thunder practice talking about how Adams can, can – hit threes like he can stroke them um so at at what point does he take that from from the practice court and move it to to the actual like nba game i think is interesting also i don't think adams popping out and shooting like an average of one three a game changes the the way the the thunder offense operates you know um I think it it would have to be volume because if Adams just pops out and shoots one three a game, how much gravity does he yeah. really have? You know, teams are going to let Adams shoot a pick and pop top of the key three once a game, uh, and and not feel the need to step out on that. Um, now, fast forward three or four years, and after he's done it for three or four years, and he's shooting three and a half threes a game at thirty five percent then I think that starts to change the way that that the offense works. Um but but I don't know like I don't even I don't even know when that transition begins, yeah. you know? And OKC's missing that Serge Ibaka pick and pop game for the longest time. Yeah. And how how weird would that be to see Steven Adams 
shooting a 30 footer right. Brooke Lopez Jeez. style yeah. all like, you know, all throughout the game that, that just, I ah. think that's what made me, that's what made it come like back into my mind is watching Marcus all do it is just, it's kind of weird for me. Like, I think you hit, hit it right on the head, Jacob of like, there's these guys that have come in and evolved their game. And I think that most centers, if they want to continue to, you know, command playing time and command defensive attention, they're going to have to evolve their game because of where the NBA has gone. And I think you've seen it from a lot of the younger guys that have come into the league with that skill. But to see it from some of the guys who've been in the league a few years who maybe didn't naturally come in with that in their skill set, the ones that can adapt and add that are going to be so much more valuable to any team in the NBA than the ones that are just traditional bigs. Well, Definitely. Marcus Gasol's always really had a mid-range jump shot. Right. Yeah. And Brooke, Brooke um, didn't have anything. And then Blake Griffin, right. when he came in the league, couldn't even dribble with his left hand. So. Yeah. Right. I mean, Blake Griffin couldn't shoot anything outside of three feet whenever yeah. he came into the league. And then now look at him. It's you a know? process, man. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Do you guys think that, that this is kind of really getting deep in the weeds on this? But do you think eventually we see the pendulum swing back? Like right now, it it's all perimeter-based basketball uh, space the floor, big guys that can shoot. I mean, hell, in the in the NBA playoffs, we've even seen guys like P.J. Tucker playing the five. Do we eventually see the pendulum swing back the other way and go back to like 80s, 90s basketball with, no. with two bigs on the floor and like just a, a deliberate intention to get the ball into the post and – and play close to the basket, back to the basket type of basketball again? I don't think so. Like, just because of, yeah, just because of like, analytics and how, you know, you can physically see analytically that that style of basketball is not as efficient as this style of basketball and the way that everybody can shoot threes now, I just don't see it going back that way. I just think of the... Um, and this is a this is cross sports. So, um, but you got to think of the 1970s, like the the Russian hockey teams between the 70s and then to the 80 Olympics, right? When they played, you know, like the whole miracle on ice thing, right? And the Russians completely changed the game as far as it's not necessarily where the puck was going; it's where everybody else was, and the puck just happened to travel there, and it was positionless hockey as far as like what they were doing, and. Um, that's just, and they completely evolved the game. That's why they were just murking all these teams and all these teams started to do, do the same thing as what the Russians were doing in hockey. So I think they've, I think the game has just complete, been completely evolved and you see just a lot of positionless, like you say, positionless basketball. It's not necessarily what position you are. It's just how you move the ball. And I think that's going to be a thing that's here to stay. Now, why do I think there's going to be like dibbits here and there? That will like you know where you alter your style of play. Yeah, I think that's true, but I think the I don't think you'll ever see a traditional two big men in the front court and you know a couple guards and a wing. Mikey, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I I love analytics. Um, you know, uh, if, if you if you follow me, like you know that I'm all for the numbers. And when I start playing basketball at fourteen, fifteen, I was just shooting trees because the math told me that um and i think that we'll we'll see less and less player coming to the nba without a three-point shot i think that um the more we go into this the more it will normalize because it's easier to be efficient 
from the three point line than it is from the post. Okay, it's just a matter of how hard it is to be efficient from a certain area. It's not that the post is not valuable. It's not like the mid range is not valuable. Yeah. It is difficult to be efficient from there. So I think that um, it is a lot of uh, like a personnel issue. Like there is no Shaq. There is no Elijah one. There is no David Robinson. Um, so maybe um, we will see players that can be effective in the post. Uh, I think that Aiton could be one. Um, but I don't think we will see player that are limited and like without a three-point shot in the future. And so, yeah, maybe we will see like tall lineups. I mean, Denver played two like two bigs uh, deep into the playoffs and lost in seven due to like an amazing game of CJ. Uh, but they played two bigs because they were not conventional bigs. Yeah, and so that's a good point. It, it all it, it depends. I mean, size is useful. You cannot teach height, um, but you can teach how to shoot three pointers even yep. to uh, like a seven feet uh, guy. And back to Adams and his three point shot. I'm skeptical. I mean, I I I love the player um and i would love for him to have a reliable three-point shot but i just don't see it like there was a point when he started the season like it was probably his third season when he started shooting free throws at a, like a very very good rate i remember that a certain point yeah. it was 70 75 78 something like that but then now it's it's a problem yeah. and all those players that we mentioned yeah, I mean, Brooke didn't have a, like um, a jump shot, but he was like a 70, 75% free throw shooter. It's not always the case. I mean, Bruce Bowen was a horrible uh, free throw shooter and, and a, like a great corner three-point shooter. But A, you don't want Steven to be in the corner. And right. so it would be like a pick and pop stuff. Yeah, you'd have to it's... have him in the action, right? Exactly, yep. exactly. You don't want to ha to have him in the corner because it's like zero value um, because he, he's far from the basket and so he cannot rebound and it's not involved in any uh, screen action. So it's if he does, it would be great, even for two three-pointers because, I mean, it changes the way um, the defense works because you have at least something different. You see Steven Adams doing something different. It's not diving to the rim, and so you have to react somehow. And if you if it starts to hit like 30, 32%, maybe the big will not move, but it will be in a different position as well. And, but, but it's, it's tough, it's tough. Maybe actually shooting trees will help his shooting overall and he will have like better percentage from the line, or maybe the two things will not correlate and we'll have like a weird player, who knows? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, God, we went down a rabbit hole here. This started with the NBA Finals, and and, and somehow we're here. Um, any more thoughts before we move on? Because I want to talk some draft stuff. Good, awesome. Can I say well, one? Yeah, one last thing. Yeah, about, go for about it. Nick Nurse. I mean, I love the way he coached the fourth quarter in terms of calling timeouts, designing ATOs play. It was a clinic. Because the Warriors were there. I mean, they were tied to 88, mm -hmm. if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, and I said to myself, well, now it's the time. They will, they will go on a run. And it was the, actually the opposite. Nurse designed two or three very good plays. 
and he called timeout whenever the Warriors made like a good play, and it was like a perfect, perfect management. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's and and it's. I've always found it fascinating this year, especially now that Toronto's in the finals, that their coach won Coach of the Year. Dwayne Casey won Coach yeah. of the Year, gets fired. Yeah. The the yeah. face of that franchise, uh, the guy that was like all in Toronto, Demar Derozan gets shipped away. You know, um, they were in the in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Were were they? No, no, Boston was in no. there. Sorry, they made it to the yeah. second round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyways, you know, like they were right there on the cusp. You know, I mean, they yeah. had a great season last year, and a lot of a lot of teams, a lot of managers, a lot of president of basketball ops would have elected to make some fringe moves and and run it back. And they kind of completely rebuilt what they had and um and it's paid off. And I think that's it's just a really fascinating thing to do from like a team building standpoint. You know? Uh it's it's like the equivalent of if if Portland would have traded CJ and and fired Terry Stotts and tried to completely rebuild. But and, and a lot of times you see that happen and it doesn't work out. And and for them to reach the finals and now be up one O on, you know, the daunting Golden State Warriors, I just think it's it, it's an interesting team building aspect that I don't feel like you see very often. It's a really cool story. And I think there's there's the extra twist because we know Nick Nurse has some Oklahoma ties that makes it kind of cool. Yeah, um, it's an interesting but, story for everyone except Demar. Yeah, right. <laughs> like that, I would love. He's got to gotta feel pretty shitty, thinking. man. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. I mean, you see the joy on a guy like Kyle Lowry's face as they're wrapping up the game and all yeah, the things. That was like his that. boy for like you know eight years, mm-hmm. right? And then to, yeah, to be Demar and it's like oh cool, well, it looks like fun guys. Um, but I think, yeah, it's such a huge risk. It's something that, you know, I can't imagine the thunder doing something like that. Like imagine the thunder right now. It's not an apples to apples comparison, but imagine them firing Billy Donovan and trading away Russell Westbrook. Like, it's just, it feels unfathomable, fathomable. And while like, like I said, it's not a perfect comparison. I mean, Russell's been all about Oklahoma city in terms of loyalty and dedication to a city. I think him and DeMar are on similar levels in that respect uh i just it would be a bizarre day for the franchise and then to have it pay off and to to you know get over the hump with somebody else in a thunder uniform uh that would be something to witness for sure yeah yeah it'd be crazy all right well talking about uh shipping demar DeRozan off. well done god good job cut the check our first sponsor of the day When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get your orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keeps your customers happy. Right now, Blue Wire listeners can ship can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the promo code BLUE, B-L-U-E. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all major carriers, including U, uh, the U.S. Postal Service, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. 
so you can compare and can choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone on the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE, B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com, then enter the promo code BLUE, ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. Can I ship my pants? Uh, I wouldn't suggest it. Okay. Um, you probably need to wear those. <laughs> All right. Sure. All right, Mikey, we want to talk some some NBA draft with you, specifically uh, about the Thunder, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be honest. I think you have more knowledge about these players in this draft and who's good and who's not good uh, than probably the four of us combined. <laughs> so... Um, uh, of the guys that might be projected to be around, still around, and available at 21, uh, talking guys like Tyler Hero, Cameron Johnson, Matisse Thibel, uh Kelvin Johnson, recently seems like he slid up, slid an updraft, slidden, is that even a word? Slidden? Slid. Slid updraft boards. Risen updraft boards. He has recently. Risen. He has risen. Um, <laughs> Nikhail Alexander-Walker. I love him. Out of those guys... Uh, and others who will be available around 21, who do you like the most for for the Thunder? Um, I mean, this morning, I would I would say, I could have said probably Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the guy I like the most. Um, but then I, I watched like a lot of clips today of Grant Williams, and I'm... I'm not so sure anymore. Um, Grant Williams are, is out of the, Tennessee. Is that right? Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. Um, but let's start with uh, Alexander Walker. I mean, I think that OKC needs um, a wing um, more than a, than a big. And so feet wise, I think that you have to go that direction. Um, but with wings, you have you need guys that can do things that you don't have and fit with the with the thing that you do and you need shooting but you need also ball handling and you need a guy that can make a quick pass you need a guy um that can make quick decision with the ball you basically need um um, a version like a guard version of patterson that that is actually good at basketball so (laughs) (laughs) and um and I, I think that Alexander Walker has the potential to be that. Um, it's not like amazing. Uh, if you if you look at his shooting, it's it's good, but it's not like Cam Johnson. Uh, defensively, he's not tieable, but he's okay. Uh, I think he has like good length um, and can be um, like a, a plus defender, especially team wise. He's a guy that doesn't screw up. Like uh, he know he knows where to be on the on the court. Um, he defends screen reasonably well. He needs to add a bit of strength, but it's not like um, a Terrence Ferguson uh, when uh, when he entered the draft. And he, know, he knows how to play basketball. He's a sound player. He's one of those guys like he's smooth. It, it, it seems like he, he doesn't force anything. Um, can play with Russell Westbrook and without him. And so this is the guy that I think uh, if he's there, you, you should not pass him. So I, the the draft research that I have done, um, which isn't a lot and is probably like 
half-assed research because half the time I'm just watching and saying, I like this. This looks good. Um, <laughs> Nikhail Alexander-Walker is is my guy as well. I I love his game. And so style-wise, maybe he doesn't fit this comparison, but just the where he was whenever he came into – the the evaluation process uh, as far as the draft and where he was projected early on and then once he got to the combine and then now individual workouts and he's climbing up boards and he's looking like he won't uh, be available at 21 just that whole process reminds me a lot of of a couple of years ago when why am i going blank right now the the kid from utah Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell. He reminds me so much uh, of how Donovan Mitchell was supposed to be like a early to mid twenties pick in that draft, mm-hmm. and then kind of started shooting up boards and eventually became a lottery pick. This kind of feels like the same thing with Nikhail Alexander Walker. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah. I mean, I think that with um, with Mitchell, it was more of a let's measure the guy. Oh boy, he has like a seven three wingspan. This is and that changed completely. Yeah, uh, his measurement was were, were great, and then he started shooting the ball uh, in workouts like 40, 50 percent, and 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 since then he was stable in the um, in the lottery. Um, for Alexander Walker, because of the way this draft is, where you have like three players, then probably four or five player between um, three and eight. And then who knows? Uh, because, for example, Achimura is projected from like nine, eight, nine Washington, Atlanta to the 18th pick. When you have that variance, I don't know if any of the player will be stable. And so you you will see a lot of fluctuation. But um, I I don't see the same kind of like wow, this guy is great. Let's let's take him to the lottery. There is still some. Um, some guys like Givoni that didn't put him in the top 15. Um, uh, I, I recently heard um, Sam Vecini talking to Andrew, Andrew Schlecht about, about him. He said, I have him 20 on my board. So it's, it's, really, um, it's really fluid, um, this draft. And so I think that it will be crazy in draft night. This guy can go 10 uh, or 25. Yeah, I feel like 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 exactly what you mentioned that it seems that 10 to 20 25 range is just so fluid right now. There's there's mm-hmm. anybody could go anywhere. So then let me ask you this. If if Nikhail Alexander-Walker is your guy, uh you're really high on him, is he a candidate for the Thunder um in a possible trade to move up in the draft? And if not, can you identify maybe two or three guys that you think fit really well with Oklahoma City that kind of match what Sam Presti may be looking for that the Thunder may be willing to trade up, you know, maybe from 21 to to 16, 17 to get and what you think a trade, a Thunder trade package would have to look like to do that? Oh, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know if there is a guy uh, that I would, Definitely trade up for. Um, I love Achimura, uh, but but he has like some. I, I'm almost sure it will be like um, a starter to very good rotation player 
could you trade up for that? I mean, with with the, the talent that you have in this draft, you can find the same guy at 21. Um, and then I'm I'm totally biased with Achimura because it's three years that I'm scouting him and, and I, I love him. So um, he is one of the guys that I would trade up for. But I would not trade up for a guy like uh, like Hero, even if the shooting is unbelievable. Um, not because he, he's not good, but because you have to to give something like um, you have to give up Diallo, I think. And does Diallo move you five spot in this draft? I I don't think so. Yeah, does I mean, I had the I had the discussion with somebody the other day. Does does twenty one and and Diallo get you Boston's pick at twenty? Is that maybe the best you can move up with that? I mean, yeah. I don't, I I don't mean, know if you can jump two spots with with that. Well, if if Boston tells you I'm picking Alexander Walker, unless you give me Diallo, I would do that. Yeah, same, same. I would do that. But but there's, it's, I mean, even Cam Johnson, which I, I don't particularly like because of because of the fact that he has bricks instead of feet in terms of how, how heavy uh, those feet are. Um, even him can, can be like a very, very good NBA player because he's probably the best shooter in the draft. So... Would it be would he be like a bad pick? No, it's not my pick, but it, you can still find uh, a role player slash starter at twenty one, even if he is not Alexander Walker. And to be honest with you, I mean, have you seen like Grant Williams' uh, measurement? The guy is two forty pounds at six seven with five percentage of body fat. Wow! Like he, he's basically a truck. Right? That's, that's impressive. Yeah, with soft, with with very soft hands, that can like his free throw shooting is like in the eighties, so projects to be like a good to like good three point shooter. And Vesani told uh, told Andrew that he's doing like crazy good workouts. So he's another guy that I think if you go and uh, if you don't want to to get a wing, but you want to get like a um, a wing forward like PJ Tucker. Or like uh, Deante, a better Deante Burton, um, he's another guy that I think would be like a, a very smart and maybe um, a pick that is more in the Thunder mold because he he has like a good wingspan, almost six ten wingspan. Um, he's he's not tall because it's six seven for a, like a small uh, like a power forward. He's uh, not tall, but he has like a like an amazing strength and so. Um, I wonder if Presley goes into that direction. No, that'd be that'd be fascinating. He's a, he's an interesting candidate. You talked about his wingspan, and so I have to bring up. And you also mentioned this guy's name, so we have to talk about him because I think a lot of Thunder Twitter uh, completely disagrees with me on this. Uh, but I want to get your thoughts. How high are you on Tyler Hero? I mean. If he is at twenty, let's let's put it this way: um, if Alexander Walker is not there, and he is there, I would take him before Cam Johnson, like for sure. I would take him before Matthias Steibel, uh, before Kabengele, be- before like a lot of guys, uh, because not just because of his shooting, but because of the way he takes shots. 
he's very good at running through screens and he wants to do that. He's in constant motion. Uh, I think a guy like that, you can probably teach him how to screen while he moves, which is something that OKC never has. Um, Abrines was starting to do something like that on the baseline uh, for some out-of-bound plays uh, for Paul George. But you need a guy who can run through screens, keep the offense in motion, um, can take like two, three dribbles, go into a pull-up, maybe dish some pass, even if he, he's not a primary ball handler. And so I, I would take the guy. It's just that um, with his body type, he doesn't project to be a very high-level defender. And the way he is built mentally, I don't think he will be a great distributor as well. So he will be a play finisher and probably a very, very good shooter. And at 21, sure, it's like I'm not down on him. It's, it's, I would not trade up for him. I think you bring up a great point with the Abrinas comparison, especially knowing kind of the void that Abrinas left in the roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, once he departed the team, I think he could fit that role really well. Mm-hmm. I think one, I think you're you're dead on in that he'll probably get taken higher. I don't necessarily expect him to be there at 21. And then two, his measurables. I just I have a really hard time knowing Presti's value on you know wingspan and athleticism and things like that. I have a hard time seeing Tyler Hero being a member of the Thunder. Yeah. So so exactly what you just said, Justin. Um, the, the Alex Abrinas comparison there is, is a little bit interesting, but Abrinas was six, six with like a six, eight wingspan, um, mm-hmm. hero six, six with a six, four wingspan. Like he's got like a negative wingspan compared to his height. Uh, he's got, he's got T-Rex arms, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. one, one comparison that, that I've made recently, I don't know if I made it on the podcast. I know Kamiar and I have des- definitely talked about this to me. Uh, hero seems like the next um, Luke Kennard, but even mm-hmm. Luke Kennard has a positive wingspan. Um, just those those short arms, quite frankly, it just it scares the hell out of me. I mean, Abrinas couldn't di- didn't get regular court time until he started to become a more adept defender. Um, I don't know if Tyler Hero can ever get there and also he's 19 you know uh mikey you talked about him being a play finisher and and a really solid shooter uh, who doesn't project to be a good defender at, at what point does he become good enough to get continual rotation minutes for oklahoma city and does that point come before we reach the end of the paul george russell westbrook run here in the next three to four years well um, I've I've seen plenty of Abdul Nader on the court. So when I was <laughs> yeah, that's what I was Touche, touche. <laughs> I mean, Nader was probably one of the worst defenders I've seen since Anthony Morrow. Didn't he probably have the worst it, plus minus since Samaj Kristen? Nader yeah. wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, that yeah. passes the eye test. Yeah. yeah, I mean, at a certain point, I remember uh, doing um, this research on cleaning the glass, and it was like I was looking to Samaj number. It, it was like minus twelve, and said, "Oh, oh." And then I watched the Nader one, and it was like minus twenty or something uh, with Westbrook on the court, something like 
absurdly insane. Uh, it was a very small sample at the time, and I, I should look at look back at, into numbers. But a, I don't want to be depressed, and b, I think it would be like um, awful as well. Back back to hero. I mean, the negative wingspan is something to be concerned about. Uh, another player that Pressy didn't draft, who was like kind of in the same mold of a play finisher um, with good touch uh, was Rodney Hood. Hood was 6'8". I think he he has like a 6'6 wingspan. So negative oh, wow. 2 I didn't know as that. well. Yeah. Um, he's not a bad player, but you can see he's not, he's not a great defender. Sure. That said, I mean, I think that wingspan is important in being a great defender, but it's not the only thing. Especially if you're a guard, you cannot deter passing lane. But putting your body into a, a a player or be quick with your feet has nothing to do with your hands and and your wingspan. Um, another player that doesn't have a crazy length but he's a great defender is Domantas Sabonis. Like Sabonis is six eleven, I think, with a six eleven wingspan, or six ten with a six ten and a half wingspan. It's barely positive, and yeah, he's not a rim protector. But I would argue that he knows how to play defense. It it the the wingspan again helps you because when you when you stretch your arms, you cover a bigger portion of the of the of the court and you you deter a wider angle of passes. That is that is for sure. But being a defender that can stay on the court, it's a different story. I mean, does he want to be a defender? To me, that is more important. And that is the part of the information that we don't have access to. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. I've just, I haven't been high on him um, just now. You've, you've talked me into it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but uh, Kayla Alexander Walker is my guy, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, he's got a good pedigree with being, you know, related to Shea Gilgis Alexander. And Shea Gilgis is one lengthy playmaker and he's he's really good at you know playing for the clips this yeah, year. Yeah, I think I saw the ringer mm-hmm. had Nikhail Alexander Walker's comps as Shea Gilgis Alexander <laughs> and Malcolm Brogdon. And I read that and I was just Sign like uh up. yeah, hell yes. Yeah. Please. Right. Please. Yeah, is that kind of player like sound players? I mean, he's more even more smooth than 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 Brogdon. I mean, um I like Brogdon, but I think that he's not the smoothest guy with, with the ball in his hand. Uh, while Shea, Shea is really smooth when he yes. when he runs yeah, pick yeah, and roll. Um, so yeah, I mean, if he's there, I mean, I don't see why you pass on him. Um, yeah. I would yeah, be I'm, upset if they did. And with which the, means I, mean, I should probably prepare to be upset knowing yeah, Sam Presti. I, I was pretty <laughs> upset with the Ferguson pick. Uh, like Same. I was like severely upset because I mean. From the clips I, I, I watched in the in that Australia League and NBL, I think it is, uh, he was like completely lost. Like he, yeah. he had no idea where to be on the court. And if you like, if you show me a clip now of how he runs through screens, I would argue with you that that is not the same player I saw. Like he's like to a different guy, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there, there is no way that a guy who is completely lost learns in two summers how to defend screen like probably the closest guy that I've seen uh, on the Thunder to play the screen like Andrew Robertson does. Like, yeah. it, it's unbelievable. And so, I mean, 
we we always see a narrow window because we don't have access to those players and we don't know why he was lost. Maybe the the coach was like not a great coach. Maybe he didn't study as much. So I don't know. I mean, yes, yeah, that that pick also. What I mean, I was upset with that Terrence Ferguson pick as well eh. because of that, coupled with the fact that I, I think a lot of Thunder fans feel this way. OG Ananobi was still on the yep. board at yeah. the time, you know. Yeah. And guess who's playing minutes right now? Yeah. Well, well, I guess not right now. Yeah. But appendectomy. Well, playing, um, playing the same amount of minutes right but now. But Mikey also brought up the the Rodney Hood comparison, which I I found interesting. Mikey, uh, off the top of your head, do you remember uh, who the Thunder drafted and and Mitch McGarry? He was hey hey, he was a good player. Just smoked too much weed. Now he's yeah. smoking weed, playing with snakes and bowling, and riding yeah. unicycles what and I, riding unicycles. What I think is, what a weirdo man. What I think is interesting about the draft in general is that everybody said, "Oh, Matisse Thybulle's been promised a pick," and everybody said, "Oh, it must be Sam Presti." And then later on came out it was like, "No, it's actually the Boston Celtics that <laughs> promised him that pick." So then everybody's like everybody's mock drafts are completely like, oh, man, now we have to pick a different pick for OKC, not Matisse Thibault. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm just really curious to see what they do because well, and they could do Cam Johnson. They could have Kelvin Johnson. They could trade up for Nikhil Alexander-Walker. They could do a lot of things, and I'm just really curious to see what happens. Yeah, I, I, I mean, they might even trade on draft night. I don't know. There's um, – I just completely lost my train of thought. Yeah. Never mind. Um, last, last draft question for you, Mikey. Uh, we we kind of talked about this with with OKC and and essentially a win now mode with a, a window of like what three years of the Paul George Russell Westbrook in their prime yeah. uh, core kind of together. You would assume the Thunder want to get players that can contribute during that window. So how much stock do you put into a draft night trade to try to move that pick in return for a vet? Um, do do you think that's the better option here? Uh, do you prefer that they just make the pick? Um, what, what, what's kind of your thought on on that side of things? Oh boy, um, I I have no idea. I mean, I in my um, like time as a um, like uh, I don't know fan and or sometimes like guy who talks about Oklahoma City, um, I I have had like thoughts about like why OKC don't draft like a more uh, ready player or why do they keep drafting these young guys who will not be able to to contribute um, soon enough. Um, I don't think that is smart uh, because like Presti thinks about today, sure, but sustained success is the hardest thing to do in the NBA. And if you want to do that, you have to draft uh, guys that can develop into something more than a help. If you can find a guy that can help you now and be part of your future, aka Jeremy Grant, I think you 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 should do it. Like the trade of Jeremy Grant was a pick for a young guy, not a veteran, that can play now and be a value for the future because today his nine million is a very very good contract and if they want to trade that content to get value they can um so it really depends is like a guy on a rookie contract or like say um on a good contract is still young and he's available 
sure, why not? But I would not trade uh, a pick for a guy that can help me now and in two years is out of my uh, team with no, um, I mean, no future value for me because it's the draft. It's it's so the the draft uh, stock of the thunder are already uh, in a like they do have two picks that are going away in the next five years. So you have already picks that you used for that. And I'm not sure they would do that this year. So it, it was a very, very long answer to say no. I don't think they would do that um, uh, because it's it's not the mold. And I would, would not do that as well. Yeah, I, I think the point you bring up there about if you trade it and get a guy that doesn't have a long-term future with you and it's just a, a two-year guy compared mm-hmm. to if you make that pick, you control that contract for four years and then you have the option to to keep that player around in restricted free agency. And so you're looking at what, like a, if, if they pick up the qualifying offer, like a minimum of five years with that player. Um, so mm-hmm. so the, the time frame, you know, the, the when, when you take out the, the, the personal element of it, just the time and or the, the money investment into a product makes more sense for, for the draft pick than a trade. in a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So traditionally yeah. I agree. You can, you can go ahead. Mm-hmm. Mikey. No, no, no. I was saying like, and maybe when you have too many assets, you can decide to go another direction. But I don't think that is the time for OKC, unless something perfect for you, yeah, pops. I think I think I've I feel like Presti has had a a subtle shift, not a seismic shift by any means, but I think there has been a little bit of a change in his mentality from you know the trust the process times where everything's about the long term goal. Mm-hmm. I think with what happened with you know the what was supposed to be a dynasty with James Harden and Kevin Durant and the way that played out, I think it affected the decision-making a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not He's not going to be a knee-jerk guy ever. But I think that the Thunder, and you've seen it a little bit with the acquisitions of Paul George and Carmelo Anthony and the things that Presti showed he was willing to trade away and to sacrifice. Now, granted, those guys are are on a totally different level than what we're talking about with a potential draft night trade. But I think when you look at where the Thunder are at and what they have with the next couple of years of Russell Westbrook and Paul George, I think you can be willing to kind of hedge a little bit of future stability for Mm -hmm. immediate success. Because Mm -hmm. if and when Paul George and Russell Westbrook are no longer playing for the Thunder, it's going to be a total rebuild. Whatever assets you have now may be completely useless for you Mm -hmm. in three years from now. And so it makes sense to me to sacrifice something, a guy that may be good in three, four years for somebody who's going to be better right now because of what you'll get out of it. But I'm not the GM. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's an interesting balance, and it's fun to talk about, but I can't imagine like actually having to make those decisions. You know? Um, yeah. You want to talk about some stress and some long nights. I mean, I just think about... You know, and I've been saying this for the longest time that, you know, like, oh, should OKC. Part of me wants to say keep the pick and pick whoever's the best available because, like uh, Mikey said, you know, OKC is losing two of the next five draft picks in the, draft picks in the future. And, you know, you want to have those youthful picks there and to develop them and not just be based everything around Russ and PG, even though they're, they're the core of your team. Um, at the same time, 
like Presty knows, Russ's knees know, uh, PG's apparently shoulders know that the window for opportunity is closing, but also opening at the same time as this Warriors so-and-so you know, dynasty is ending possibly this summer. And that's going to give you a lot of leeway in the West, but the West is also difficult as hell. So, like, are, are you wanting to, you know, trade a Schroeder and, and your draft pick for something bigger? You know, you probably don't want the 10th highest paid, play, highest paid point guard in the league being your backup. So it's a, it's a difficult question to answer. And I think, um, really, I mean, I'm glad I'm not making those decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else on draft stuff before we move on, guys? No. Nobody else? All right. Easy enough. Well, we have another ad read. This time for Harry's Razors. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire. Save $10 on value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for the past 95 years. It's a long time. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash blue wire all of harry's blades come with a 100 percent quality guarantee if you don't love your shave let them know and they will give you a full refund again harrys.com slash blue wire to redeem your razor for three dollars it's not a lot of dollars guys what a steal what a steal all right final segment of the podcast Quickly becoming my favorite segment of the podcast because good, of how much stupid shit I'm allowed to say. It's a good segment. It's a good segment. <laughs> let's uh, let's jump to some blockbuster trades. I have my trade sounder. Hold on. No way. I'll trade you my level two magic card for your Charizard. Deal. It's a disaster. Take trading. It's a disaster. I love that sounder so much. Lunchables, Pokemon, and Donald Trump all in one sounder. When's the last time you played that sounder? I don't know, but it's, oh it's so good. Okay. Oh, it's so good. What, what was your favorite Lunchables as a kid? Were you one of the pizza guys? Oh, pizza or did you like the, the, the one with the crackers and the, the, that, like the turkey? Uh, that's trash. Get oh, that the out crackers here. is the worst one. Yeah, that's disgusting. It's like a it's poor man's charcuterie. Throw, my, that throw that crap at my mom. What are you talking about, man? I liked I liked the cold chicken nuggets that you dunked in the sick in those the were And the, the cold pizza one was so gross, dude. They weren't I too the chicken the nuggets one pizza. weren't too bad, but I'm all about the pizza ones. Did you guys Did you ever, ever get the, the really nice ones that came with the uh with the candy bar in them? Oh yeah. Yeah. My parents were too damn cheap to buy that. <laughs> Did you ever get the chicken shake ups? The what? That you put the, you put the chicken nuggets in like this little bag of seasoning, 
and you shook it all up, and it was like their version of like chicken wings. Oh, that's cool. No, I, Are I we just... talking real food here? <laughs> Do you not have Lunchables in Italy? Yeah, we have. Just, uh, just different. I mean, <laughs> but yeah. Were you a fan? Did you ever take them to uh, to your grade school lunch, Mikey? I mean, we. I, I was. Um, I had a school like it was very, very uh, close to my um, to my house, and we don't have like when in primary school we didn't have lunch at school, so we actually yeah. went home so for that. Oh, that's, that's cool. Awesome. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And then, and then for in the uh, like the what is the it's not the medium school how how, how it's called there. Uh, like, like secondary after, school? yeah, the secondary school. Yeah, or or a yeah, middle school. Had, yeah, we had like the lunch there, and it was like passed out almost every day with with other stuff. But yeah, oh, interesting, nice. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that sounds better than here. pizza lunchables. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it depends what you like. But anyway, <laughs> pizza lunchable just like two days ago. Oh my god. <laughs> disgusting <laughs> all right so let's talk some blockbuster trades um nick i'm coming to you you're going first what's your trade okay so per usual i don't go the whole blockbuster route i like i like the small per trades. usual i just don't obey any of the rules <laughs> <laughs> so my trade uh, is actually the opposite of a blockbuster it's, it has to do with two <laughs> young guys still on their rookie deals and it's funny because we actually we mentioned this other player earlier in the podcast, but the trade I'm proposing to you two or all of you guys is a simple Terrence Ferguson for OG and an OB swap. Mm-mm. Oh, that's don't hard want. pass. Do not want. That's an interesting Ooh. one. Why you like that trade? I no no it's it's a serious question. Necessarily... I don't necessarily like the trade. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of a trade that that might be thought provoking. Um, I would rather have Ferguson. I just didn't know what you know the rest of you guys would think about that. He's like a less talented Jeremy Grant. Yeah, it's it's a no for me, dog. But at the same time, what if Jeremy Grant turns down your contract extension this year? Would you consider it then? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Justin, what's your trade? Okay. Uh, my blockbuster trade does not involve guys on their rookie deal. Did you obey uh, the rules? I tried. Oh, thank um, you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I still don't know if it's a good trade. <laughs> Nick is one of those but, kids that would give detention at school, like, weekly. <laughs> hey, I need uh, you to write this uh, this five-paragraph essay that's due on Friday. Nick would show up. Friday. Yeah, I made a PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> He's he's innovative. That's why we like him. Yes, yes. Um, so my blockbuster trade involves the Boston Celtics and the Washington Wizards Ooh. swapping Gordon Hayward and Bradley Beal. Ooh. Uh, why I think Washington wa- would do that? I, I think Washington farts <laughs> like in the telephone and then hangs up. Are involved? Yeah, I think that would be the key. There has to be something else. Be, but I think Washington needs to to start over and move Beal and mm-hmm. maybe I mean I know Gordon's been kind of underwhelming but I think maybe you you get a guy like that that can kind of stabilize your franchise for a couple years while you rebuild but I mostly just want to see Bradley Beal in Boston that's that's the key I here. think I I think you I mean Boston has the the 
multiple first round picks they can right. throw in with that make it interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the key. I mean, they they could easily put. I, I think you have to put at least two or three picks. Totally. Otherwise, yeah. it's. I mean, Beal was probably uh, better than Kemba this year. So, I mean, I had him in my um, not official ballot for the third team. He was that good, and he's so young. That's that's mm-hmm. the point. I mean, he's nineteen ninety four. Yeah, I, he's twenty five. No, he's twenty five. Yeah. I heard the other day that Bradley Beal is is younger than Buddy Heald. Yep. Yeah. Which is crazy, especially especially Buddy's birth certificate that came out. (laughs) Yeah, apparently Buddy could be 25 or he could be 30. Well, (laughs) he's a year older, and he was like, no, I've been telling you guys for the longest time, I'm actually this age, but everybody just went off of what, like, they oh, you you got it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not surprising. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, he's the same age as Pascal Siakam. Uh, Brad Beal is. Yeah. God, Brad Beal's so good, dude. I think if Boston puts like two picks this year plus the Memphis one um, or another one that they have, I'm, I'm not sure they have the Memphis one, but probably yes, um, next season, then, then it, I think you have something there. Yeah. Because, yep. I mean, Hayward could be good. And um, I mean, if it's not, I mean, you have three three draft picks too. Right? Yeah. Hayward is two, better two with the stuff. ball in his hands. and that, That's so true. Like, just, just having, I was having a conversation the other day, and they, this person, they said, "Hey, do you think Gordon Hayward's ever going to be good again?" I said, like, "No, he's still good, but he's just like at Utah. He needed the ball in his hands, and and, and when you have Kyrie dribbling the air out of the ball, you're not going to really see that as much. So I think if he goes to a place where, or he just stays in Boston and Kyrie splits." You're gonna see him a lot more with the ball, and he's gonna look like maybe not 100% Gordon Hayward old again, like Utah Gordon Hayward. But I think it's gonna be more than serviceable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yep. Come here. What's your trade? All right. Well, I've got two. Um, this one is based upon the um, Rockets kind of wanting to blow things up, uh, as their most recent thing suggests. But I don't think anybody's taking that CP3 contract. That's outrageous. Uh, it has a southern feel to it. Again, a three-team trade. Rockets, Mavs, and OKC. Okay. I'm saying OKC is going to send out Dennis Schroeder and Andre Robertson. Okay. And just to expedite the process, OKC will get back. I mean, OKC sends out Andre Robertson um, to the... So, okay, I'll just do it. <laughs> the Rockets... <laughs> Just, just so we can do this, the Rockets will confused. receive. Yeah, the Rockets will receive Andre Robertson, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Justin Jackson. Mavs receive Dennis Schroeder, Clint Capella, and Hartenstein. Hartenstein, just Hartenstein. to just to make you know the money work. And then OKC would get Eric Gordon and Courtney Lee. Of course, I don't think any team other than the Thunder say yes to this trade. Maybe the Mavericks, um, but the Rockets say hell no. But it's just an interesting one. Yeah, the Rockets would definitely say no but on that. But this, uh, the second, the second trade I, I have, like that. I like Eric Gordon and OKC. The second trade I have, I think, is more feasible okay. and more mind and thought provoking. So, again, three team trade, but this one makes more sense. OKC is sending out Stephen Adams and Dennis Shooter once again, or Dennis Shooter. Celtics receive Anthony Davis and Dennis Shooter. Pelicans receive 
Steven Adams, Jason Tatum, and two first-round picks. And the Thunder receive Al Horford in a sign-and-trade slash opt-in, whatever. I say hell no. Interesting. It's thought-provoking. I You can't give out Dennis Schroeder and Steven Adams and get... You know, so the, th- the Thunder just get old. Horford and... And in cap, cap relief in cap space. Okay, well, not probably not cap space, just tax relief. relief. Yeah. yeah, sure. Can we get each one more? Add each one more in that instead of the the space. I'm yeah. I'm 100 on board with that. I don't know what you do with the backup point guard spot moving forward. I guess. Right. I mean, I I don't really think you want each one more pay, playing backup point. No, no. But I mean, you can go get somebody for your MLE. Yeah. So like let's let's say I mean just this trade is described. Does do you do you pause for a second? Does it make you think? Oh yeah, I mean I, I'm on, I'm on the record for loving an Adams for for Horford swap. Uh, what whatever iteration of that you have to do, um, I'm on record for for being all in on that. So I'm uh, I'm interested. Yeah, I personally can't picture giving up your starting center and your sixth man who's a starting caliber point guard in this league for Al Horford. Yeah, no, I, I think, like Mikey said, I think it makes a lot more sense if you can get Etwan more in that deal as well. Yeah. Then, then, yeah. then you're talking, I think, a really good trade. Possible good trade. It depends on if you want Raymond Felton running your backup point again. Hey, <laughs> I'm just saying, throw that MLE at Patrick Beverly. Oh God! And Russ has to call him. The only way that works is if Russ calls him first and says, "I forgive you, and I won't fist fight you in the locker That's room." Not going to happen. <laughs> like but Pat, Pat could have the same effect on the team as uh, Draymond has his effect on Golden State. Yeah, yeah, dude, I'm so on board with bringing Patrick Beverly into Oklahoma City after I'm been yeah. ready to fight him for the past six years. Yeah. Well, hey, Russ and and the Morris twins tried to fight each other yeah, multiple times whenever they true. were in Phoenix. And, and you've seen how the Morris thing ended up being on the court. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. Not good. pleasant. Um, while like I'm saying this while I'm hurting myself for saying this, but what if you you offer Derrick Rose three millions to be your sixth man? Oh. I love yeah, that I know, for multiple know, reasons. Uh, number one, because I actually really like Derrick Rose, and number two, because if you would have told me uh, back in 2012, 2011, that Derrick Rose would be Russell Westbrook's backup. I would have laughed my ass off, and uh, and so to see that full circle would be absolutely incredible. But no, I love Derrick Rose. I mean, um, what if you could get Avery Bradley, who's a free agent? He can he's a combo guard. What if you could get him for like two, three million? Because he's not going to get that much. I don't think he's a free agent. He's washed up. Yeah, yeah, he's, he will be soon because Memphis yeah. is close to the tax, and he has basically twelve billion. Uh, like he has what, like one million guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah. So he'll likely be um, either trade somewhere or just or Dar- Darren Collison, maybe. Oh, I no, I like. Um, yeah, uh, I like Darren Collison, but who's the other guard up in Indiana who's about to be free? Corey Joseph. I like oh, Corey yeah. Joseph a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, my trade. Again, in light of Houston doing whatever the hell Houston is doing, 
Um, this trade is based upon the idea that Kyrie is out of Boston and Al Horford does not opt in or opts in and gets traded, uh, like for Steven Adams. I have Marcus Smart and Robert Williams the third going to the Rockets in return for Clint Capella. Hmm. So Houston gets a, a young center and they get uh, kind of an off-ball guy in, in Marcus Smart, who can play point guard, who can handle the ball, um, but it allows you to put the ball in James Harden's hands more um, whenever you have Smart and, and Harden out there compared to having Chris Paul and Harden. Uh, and Smart's a, a much better three-point shooter. We talked earlier about yeah. guys that have developed a three-point shot. Marcus Smart. And it uh, gives you some insurance when CP3 only plays 30 games that year. Yep. Smart right. got, got four years left on his deal. So I've got Smart and Williams, and then in return, Boston gets uh, a young rim-running, rim-protecting center that timeline-wise matches up a lot more with, with Tatum and Brown. I think I think Houston might do that. Yeah. It's interesting, yeah. Because they're so guard-heavy, and Smart can guard two through... He can guard one through three. See... And he's thick enough to where you might be able to guard some fours like P.G. Tucker and stuff. Yeah, right. and, and see, like, I don't understand why NBA trades are that hard. I threw this shit together in five minutes. <laughs> it's so easy. <laughs> Come on, pull the trigger, man. Fuck you. <laughs> All right, our last trade of the night, the day, whatever. Um, uh, do you think uh, any NBA GMs actually use the trade machine? Oh, hell yes. Vlade Divac. Vlade, Vlade, whenever he pulls up Google Chrome, the first thing that yeah. pops up that's, is the trade machine. That's, that's his only, home screen. Yeah, that's the only bookmarked like website he has. Is Vlade Divac has, you know, the uh, That's you know. funny. Um, all right, Mikey, what trade do you have? Um, I have uh, I have tried to trade CP3 somewhere. Then I've tried to trade Mike Conley to Boston, to Indiana, to like wherever he could succeed uh, in the short term. And yeah, maybe so, but it was all complicated. So I end up trading Anthony Davis to the 76ers. This is weird. I realize that. But I would trade Anthony Davis for Simmons, the other Simmons, um, a pick. And JJ Redick in sign and trade, and I kind of like the idea of having Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid together that to play unreal. that huge lineup. And I mean, the spacing—it's—it's it's like almost stupid to say, but this—the spacing will improve because Davis. Yeah, because you get rid of Ben Simmons. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, and. I think we are starting to get close to the point where we question Ben Simmons' value. Mm-hmm. We are not there yet, and I don't think we will have Ben at the higher value than today. And so, I mean, maybe, maybe yes, but he will sign a contract next season, or he will be extended uh, in the in the spring, in the um, like in the next five months. So. I think that pairing him with Zion, it's interesting, uh, especially if you put like all the shooting um, 
around him. And I don't know. I think that the Pelicans could say yes to that. That's that's an interesting one, yeah. And that also puts, I mean, if, if you want to talk about New Orleans consistently has low attendance numbers, you mm-hmm. bring in Zion, and then you bring in Ben Simmons, who played college ball, what, an hour, hour and a half away yeah. um, from, yeah. from yep. there. Uh, that probably puts butts in seats. And you get a younger core together again. Yeah. Players yep. that. And in Philly, who the hell is scoring at the rim on a Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis front court? Right. God. Yeah. Do you, is Jimmy d- Butler d- there still next year? I think so. I, I I plan my trade with that. And if if the Pelicans don't want JJ Redick, you can talk yourself into doing the same with Tobias Harris as your yeah. sign-in trade. Okay. Uh, yeah. The Pelicans would be like close to the tax line, um, but not that close. I mean, they can they can move contracts around like each one more uh, and, and be okay. Because if they go into the tax, then they will be hard cup. Um, and so it's it's not a nice thing to have. But I think that if the, if you get like Ben Simmons and uh, a shooting guard like JJ Redick that can space the floor plus um holiday you have a really really interesting unit yeah that that's, would be fun uh, yeah it's fascinating um awesome so what which trade do you guys like the most that's a good question i mean i like i like the addition that uh mckelly brought on to the trade that the second trade the more realistic trade that i brought up was if you can add it one more into the Trade for OKC to get back. Uh, if you ship out Adams and Schroeder and, and get Horford, if you if OKC could get Horford and Aton Moore, you've got two guys that can hit threes. You got one guy in Horford that's a he's not necessarily the best rebounder, but he is a high IQ basketball player. He knows how to move the ball. He knows how to pass the ball. He can shoot threes as a big man. He actually averages more blocks than Stephen Adams, and he's a defensive anchor. Uh, his feet are a little bit slow uh, in comparison to Steve's, but. Then you have Aton Moore, who's a floor spacer. So I like that one. Yep. Uh, yeah, me too. I, I like Mikey's a lot. I just think that one's fun and interesting, and a and a perspective on the AD trade. It's like the most like that's. Remember when we talked about Boogie and Anthony Davis being the most monster front court ever, and then right. Kelly comes along and says, "No, how about Anthony Joel Davis and Joel Embiid?" That it's Jesus it's kind of like what we talked about earlier. Like that's a lineup that would have the potential to alter how other teams play yeah, the exactly. game of basketball yeah. yeah like that could yeah. start to shift the pendulum the other way a joel and beat anthony davis front court i said this whenever ad and boogie got paired but it's even more relevant here that's probably the the best front court pairing since uh duncan robinson it's impressive mm-hmm. except these guys are more athletic and shoot threes yeah yeah well joel I mean, wants to shoot threes i don't know if he can shoot threes uh <laughs> nick, he doesn't nick, have to now right yeah because yeah. because you've got somebody else spacing for him uh, Nick, your favorite trade? Yeah, I like the AD trade. That that kind of trade fascinates me because that, like you said, is a trade that shifts the entire NBA. It'd be a good one. All right, any parting thoughts before we get out of here? Um, I hope OKC does not draft Tyler Hero. <laughs> yeah, kind of same. I don't like T-Rex arms. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for checking out the podcast. We appreciate you. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore uncontested. 
Go follow Mikey on Twitter. He is at Mikey Barra. Uh, if you like basketball, if you like smart basketball, Mikey is a must follow. Analytics, bro. Yeah, he's he's good at what he does. Thank you. You can also subscribe to the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You just go to iTunes, search Blue Wire. You can find all of the podcasts on the network. Um, There's some really good ones. So you should definitely go in and do that as well. I think that's all I got. It was a good podcast. Yeah. It's a good podcast. All right. Well, we will be back with you guys some point next week. We are less than three weeks away from the NBA draft now. It's coming up. Uh, Next time we talk to you guys, I'm sure we'll be three games into the finals. uh, So we'll have a lot to talk about with that. Uh, Until then, you guys have a great weekend, and we will talk to you later. Thunder up. Thunder up. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.